Hello, this is the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. My name is Alex Burr, and I just would like to let you know that on this episode of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour, my actual power went out, ironically, and I lost power for the majority, the rest of the podcast and for the rest of the night. I am okay now. I'm obviously able to record this. This is why this episode is coming out later on this Friday night rather than the normal round about 12, 3 o'clock time that it usually, time frame it would usually come out in. I will timestamp the area where I lost power and I had to switch over to a wireless headset. That's why my audio sounds appreciably worse. Dylan sounded great as always. And this was a great episode in spite of the, the challenges that I faced. And I hope you give it a chance and hope you listen to this episode and enjoy it as much as I enjoyed making it in spite of the circumstances. On to the show. Hello, and welcome to the Running Hook Podcast, hosted by Alex Burr, a member of the Running Hook Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. I am once again joined by my co-host Dylan Hughes, but we are once again going to start with a football question because Dylan Hughes, our team, the Indianapolis Colts, traded for a quarterback, Carson Wentz. How do you like the fit? And do you think Carson Wentz can bounce back to 2017 levels? So I would like to think he can because I have some skin in the game here. Um, As far as fit, I think here's the thing you have to look at. So Wentz, and let me just say, Wentz definitely, some of this is definitely his fault. He holds on to the ball too long, and he's not the best decision maker. But he did not have great protection, so he got sacked a lot. And he did not have great receivers, which made him hold on to the ball longer and get sacked a lot. So I think blaming the past three seasons on solely himself is not a fair way to look at it. And I think if any team could fix him, it would be the Colts because the Colts have great protection and they still need a left tackle, which I'm sure they'll fix soon. Um, They don't have great receivers, but they're pretty good. And like the supporting cast in general is good. So, and plus, you know, Frank Reich was the last guy that Carson Wentz had success under and Hey, they just so happened to win the Super Bowl. So you know, I would like to think that um, the Colts are the best spot for him. And, you know, I've seen some people making an argument that despite only giving up a second and a third, that it was too much. Uh, some people are saying that they should have gotten draft picks back because of the money. It's like, guys, come on. So <laughs> The Eagles had to take the cap hit, not the Colts. Yeah. Or more of one, I should say. And just from an opportunity cost perspective, like, you can make the argument they should have gone after Stafford, which is fair. Like, I wanted Stafford. Uh, the price was a lot. After Wentz, what's the best option? You're either going to trade up in the draft and give up more draft capital for some guy that might be good that's shown no success in the NFL, or you could hope the Jets trade Sam Darnold, who might be good. So it's like, go for a guy that has proven to be good in the past – under your current coach and just go from there. And, you know, sure, the contract's not great, but the Colts are paying, including Wentz, three guys over $10 million. 
their best player, Darius Leonard, makes $2.3 million next year, okay? When you have half of your starters on the rookie scale because you've drafted so well, you have a lot of flexibility to take on some bloated contracts. So just from an opportunity cost perspective and talent, I think it was a great move for them. Listen, you know, my my idea was just to go to – and go to uh, the Green Bay front office, just sneak in there in the dead of night, open the door, open the um, filing cabinet where Aaron Rodgers' contract is, just cross out the Green Bay part of it and just put Indianapolis on there, and boom, he's an Indianapolis Colt. You know, I, I don't think that was entirely feasible, but, you know, it was probably more feasible than, than the Matt Stafford trade for us. Um, in all seriousness, listen, Stafford, I would have rather had Stafford, but I agree. This is absolutely 100% the next best scenario where we listen, we needed a quarterback and I don't mind taking a shot on Carson Wentz. I, I just really don't. And I think that if he sucks, then, you know, we'll be able to cut him probably relatively soon. I'm not intimately familiar with the contract, but I'd rather take a shot on him than like a guy like big Ben or a guy like, you know, the other guy that maybe would have worked, but you know, franchise tag, whatever is Dak but I don't know what would have happened there. So I'm, I'm not going to pin all my hopes in that basket, but I don't know. Cause we weren't going to get Watson. There's no way the Texans are going to trade us Watson, but no, I, I, a man can dream, but let's, I hope that we draft a good left tackle in the first round and then, and then nothing but wide receivers and cornerbacks <laughs> for the rest of the draft. That's it. Nothing but cornerbacks and wide receivers. So um, let's go ahead and move on to the injury report and the news. So, the injury report is kind of sparse this week, but we do have Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin out for the foreseeable future till they're either bought out or traded. So, Dylan, we've got a, we shine a lot of light on those guys in the last uh, few weeks. What do you think about the NBA or not the NBA? Um, they're, those respective teams sitting those guys down until they can work something out. I get it from an asset protection standpoint. But at the same time, what Draymond Green said that kind of went viral a little bit about how there's just a double standard as far as how we treat players and organizations when it comes to these things. I mean, he was 100% correct on that. If if a player wants out of a situation for the best of himself, he gets scrutinized massively by media and fans for not being professional. But when a team wants to trade a guy – then it's a big, it's not a big deal. And it, it really shouldn't be a big deal either way because, I mean, there's nothing personal going on here. Like, I mean, in some cases, like maybe Houston with Harden, it could have been some personal issues, but everyone is trying to get the best for themselves. That's like, that's how life is. Everyone needs to be a little selfish, you know, not too selfish, but a little selfish. Everyone's looking out for themselves. So if they want to trade Drummond, that's great. And if they want to bench drum in, in the process, I understand that. But at the same time, I mean, and he's, you know, I don't feel bad for him. He's getting paid to do nothing. I, I'm never going to feel bad for someone in that situation. But, you know, it is what it is. And, and as far as Blake Griffin, I mean, there's no way that he wants to play. So I'm, I'm very, I'm very happy for him. <laughs> there's no way he wants to play in Detroit. There, there's absolutely no way. And I think people are missing the, like, I think Blake Griffin, just that, 
they need to get Seku some run. They need to play Sadiq base more, clear some space for Isaiah Stewart. You know, let those guys have their fun. And then, because the Pistons aren't going anywhere. They're just not going anywhere. Excuse me. Um, Sorry, they're not going anywhere. So l- sit Blake and just live with the... um. Just live with him sitting and then the realization that you're going to probably have to buy him out next year. He's not going to get, no one's going to want to trade for that contract. He's making $39 million next year on a player option that he'd be absolutely idiotic to to turn down. Like when's the next, when's the next time he's going to make $39 million on anything? We love Blake. He's not Dave Chappelle. No offense, Blake. I I don't think that's offensive to you because there's aren't a lot of Dave Chappelle's he's funny, but he's not going to make that doing comedy. He's not going to make that playing basketball again. So make your money and then try next year when you, the Pistons give back about half of that money. Like even if he gives back half of the money, that's still $20 million. (laughs) So do what you got to do, Blake. And then next year contribute to a contender, you know, join the Lakers out of spite for Steve Ballmer, something, something, something to that effect where you're helping a contender as the ninth man. But um, yeah, Draymond, I thought was spot on about Drummond. You know, listen, if Andre said that he didn't want to play until he got traded, that's great. But I, knowing what we do about Andre Drummond and what his trade stock probably is, I don't think he probably said that. If I had to guess, Andre Drummond probably needs as good a stock as he can get at this point, because let's face it. Since they traded for Jared Allen, like the first week they had Jared Allen, like the week we had the Cavs, he was pretty good, right? Like we were talking about how, like how, you know, how much energy he was playing with. It also helped that he was playing with Larry Nance. Once Larry Nance got hurt and it was clear the direction the Cavs are trying to go in for him, he admittedly stopped trying as hard, but still you got to give him a chance to earn those minutes back and play for it. I don't know. I think that Draymond's right. Generally, Draymond's one of the smartest people in the NBA, and we'll talk we'll talk about Draymond's on court IQ. But you know, he's going to be the ne- the next great NBA commentator because he speaks candidly. He doesn't give a shit, right? He shouldn't have gotten fined for what he said about Devin Booker last last playoff or in the when uh, he was doing TNT games in the bubble. I mean, Draymond is going to be a great commentator, and I I'm excited to have him as part of the future media coverage for the league. Yeah, I mean he's gonna be he's gonna be excellent because, and we've we've seen. I mean, was it last year, or the year before, where he was doing some commentating when they weren't playing, and I mean he did a great job. Like he's just so smart with how he sees the game, and obviously you can see that on the floor. But to be able to convey that into enjoyable content for listeners is great, and like, and that's why everyone loves Tony Romo right now. Because he's able to basically tell us what's in his mind and explain it so it's understandable. And from a basketball standpoint, that's huge because I think the more – like me and you are able to spot things in a basketball game that not everyone can see just because we've watched a lot of basketball. And for someone like him, it's at the next level because he's played it for so long. But just very small – things like there are there are small like off ball screens and cuts that not everyone sees that completely opens things up and those are the types of things that a guy like that can really show us and not even a lot of these former players like Chris Weber who 
I'm not going to go off on because there I, you know, I try to save my negativity for the players still playing, but, um, you know, guys like that, just, they, they're not able to, to, sh- to really show us what's happening, but a guy like Draymond is going to be perfect for that. Yeah. And Draymond is just, I would say him, Chris Paul and LeBron are the three smartest guys in the league, put them in whatever order you want, but Draymond just has such a basketball IQ that can't be replicated. And, We'll talk about the Warriors more later, but just I love he's just he's such a good talker and he's such like he conveys the point so well. Everything you said, he is elite (laughs) at talking and he is going to be if he wants to be the next great game analyst, he will be. If he wants to be the next great halftime analyst, he will be. He has the media world at his fingertips and I'm excited to see what that next step is. But let's before we can actually talk about current Draymond Green. Let's talk about the rest of the injuries we have for the week. Um, one of the teams we have for the week, D'Angelo Russell um, had arthroscopic surgery on his knee, I believe, and he'll be out four to six weeks. That's a, that's a tough blow for the Wolves. Um, they're not really good in general. They had a pretty good week, but they still went one and three. So <laughs> um, they're, they're in sh- tough shit with uh, Golden State, but we'll talk about that later. Um, Anthony Davis actually... A lot of connections to this weekend last. We had the Lakers last week, and Anthony Davis actually hurt his calf against the uh, against the Warriors. He has a calf strain, I believe, and I think they're also referring it to it as Achilles tendinosis. We've heard of tendinitis, Dylan Hughes, but not tendinosis. Tendinosis sounds dangerous. Tendinosis is something that I never want to have. Tendinitis, I, I, it just feels like something you can take on, you know? It's like it's something that you, you can figure out. Tendinosis, though, that's that just sounds brutal. And then Mitchell Robinson has a broken hand and he had surgery this week and he'll be back in mid to late March. Um, Dylan, we both loved. I think it's safe to say Mitchell Robinson made a lot of progress between this year and last and he'll be really missed for the Knicks in the upcoming weeks. Yeah, I mean, the difference from this year to last year, I think, has been insane. Like his. He's a lot more measured as a rim protector now. And for a young shot blocker, that's huge. I mean, if you're able to block shots without fouling, I mean, that's it. You know, like you're going to have a very large impact. If you can play upwards of, you know, 38 minutes a game when you need to and and you're able to stay on the floor, that's great. And he's shown that this year. So, I, uh, yeah, they're definitely going to miss him because, I mean, they've they've played above expectations this year and – and having him out is gonna is gonna sink him a bit. Yeah, we'll see if they can still make the playoffs. It's not out of the realm of possibility, but because the East is so bad, and we'll talk about that in a second when we talk about the Celtics. But the East is just horrendous. Actually, let's go ahead and get started on the Celtics because I'm gonna I'm gonna unload the clip on them. Um, <laughs> the Boston <laughs> Celtics they are 14 and 14, and they've just really had a weird week. <laughs> So they started we they had five games. This is I'm pretty sure this is our first five game week of the season. Um they started the week by beating the Raptors 120 to 106. Not bad. 13 and 11. They then proceeded to drop a game to the Pistons 108 to 102 and then in inexplicable mm-hmm. just absolutely mind-boggling that this team would lose to this team. They lost to the Washington Wizards 104 to 91. In a game that wasn't even that close. 
And then they beat the Denver Nuggets on Tuesday, 112 to 99. <laughs> and then they lose to the Atlanta Hawks, 122 to 114. Dylan, I'm just going to ask, what the hell? Listen, this this is the Celtics problem. And, and this is why you're seeing a different team every game is there's just way too much emphasis on the top of their lineup. Losing Gordon Hayward was really dramatic for them. It, it's it's showing this year to be a huge loss. And we knew going in it was going to be because they it seems like they had the opportunity to get something back for him. And they didn't. And it's just funny because I'm not going to be a person that's going to assume the reporting is 100% correct, but if they were truly the side that turned down Miles Turner plus Doug McDermott for Hayward, I mean, they are looking completely foolish because Doug McDermott has damn near been the Pacers' most consistent player this year, and Miles Turner has been awesome on both sides of the ball. And instead of getting a package like that, or hell, even just getting one of those guys would have been great. They get zero of anyone. They got nothing in return. They get a trade exception to Hughes. Oh, yeah. I'm sure Danny Ainge will talk about that one after the trade deadline. Um, so, yeah, man, we had this great trade exception we almost used. Just uh, almost got there. Couldn't quite do it. Almost traded for Vooch. Almost traded for... Almost traded for Victor Oladipo. Could have gone. It could go a lot of ways with the almost traded fours. The, the the Boston Celtics are famous for their almost traded fours. Hey man, I've never seen a guy so proud of almost achieving something. I, I've just I've got to give it to him for being that close so much, but consistently failing. So, I mean, we knew this was going to be a big problem. We talked about that in the pre the preview pod where this this depth is razor thin. Now. I mean, they're relying on guys that they either just drafted or just drafted last year. So, I mean, I'm seeing a lot of semi-ogile, a lot of semi-ogile. And you, you never want too much. You never want too much of him. So that's been an issue. And, you know, they've had injuries like Marcus Smart is a big loss. But, I mean, it's – and really what's compounding their issues is that Kemba Walker has just not been very good. He's he's gotten a little bit better lately, but I mean he he is taking time to come back from that injury. And if he's not scoring consistently and efficiently, then it's basically all on Tatum and Brown. And those guys can handle it. Like they they both, I mean, Jalen Brown just continues to get better. I mean, he he is the amount that he's transformed himself over the years, which doesn't surprise me because he's a very smart, hardworking player. I mean, going back to his Cal days, like we knew, we knew he was going to grow into a good player, but it's it's just a lot of pressure on those guys. And Tristan Thompson hasn't been the player we wanted him to be. Um, so, you know, it's it, it's just a major depth problem, and and that's why when talking about Blake Griffin, if if the Pistons are dumb or yeah, if the Pistons are dumb enough to get rid of him through a buyout. Boston is a team that has to get him. I mean, they have to, because without an addition like that, they are losing in the first round. But, you know, they're going to have to make a move of some sort because right now it's just, it's very up and down. So 
Dylan, I'm I'm just gonna ask you a question, okay? Peyton Pritchard was the 26th pick in the draft. He's been their like third best player this year, fourth. A- am I off base? Am am I off base? Is am I wrong about him being like one of their top four players this year? No, he's he's been very good. And when but, I first when I first saw him, I'm like, okay, so this is TJ McConnell that has a jump shot, and TJ McConnell with a jump shot's a pretty damn good player. And that's exactly what Pritchard's been. Like, I like I like him a lot. And they're lucky that they hit on that because, like I just said, they were relying on someone like that to play better than they expected. And he's been one, but everywhere else, it's hasn't been as great. So, okay, so their 14th pick, Aaron Neesmith, has played in 13 games. He is shooting 34% from the field, 32% from three. Now, is it unfair for us to expect a rookie to come in and contribute right away when, you know, the team is relying on you heavily to play so many minutes in your first 13 games? Yes. Yes. But let's just look at the, some, of, some of the guys drafted after Aaron E. Smith, okay? So we have Cole Anthony, who would be, even though he's hurt right now, he's not going to miss a ton of time, but he's going to miss a little bit of time. He would be a market improvement over him and Pritchard and, frankly, has been better, not better, but has played as well as Kemba has so far, which is damning. <laughs> Um, Isaiah Stewart we highlighted him on our Pistons pod he would be doing a lot better than D. Smith right now giving them some much needed front court depth Alexei Pokashevsky um, my guy from the Thunder he's currently breaking it up in the G League but still would probably be better than Aaron Neesmith Josh Green hasn't played a whole lot for the Mavericks this is the one that's so this stretch coming up is the one that's really bad okay Sadiq Bey (laughs) And we talked about Sadiq Bey last week. He had the game of his life against the Celtics on Friday. He put in 30 points with like seven rebounds. Actually, no, it was double-digit rebounds, but he had he went seven to seven from three. He is shooting 41% from the three-point line right now, Dylan. Why the hell did they not draft this guy? Why? He is exactly what they need. And wait, there's more. Precious, Precious Achua down in Miami. I don't know how much you've caught the heat this year, Dylan. He's pretty good. Right, he put the he put the work on the Warriors yesterday. I know you watched that game. Tyrese Maxey, out of Kentucky, he would be <laughs> contributing quite well right now. He's played all twenty eight games. He is shooting forty five percent from the field. Now the three point percentage leaves a lot to be desired, but he is averaging nine points a game currently. How many more? Currently six more than Aaron Neesmith. All right. Zeke Naji for the Nuggets. He has been playing well. I'm not going to say they should have drafted him over. Um, I'm not going to say they should have drafted him over, over Neesmith, but nonetheless. RJ Hampton and then Emmanuel Quickly. <laughs> Emmanuel Quickly on this team right now. Just, I know the draft is a crapshoot, but when you're picking, when you have the 14th pick, and those are the guys drafted after him. You got to get one of those guys. Why the hell aren't you drafting Sadiq Bey? Why aren't you drafting Pre- Precious, Tyrese Maxey, Manuel Quickly? And then probably the biggest one is they had the 30th pick in the draft. But they're like, you know what? Let's trade that one. Let's trade that one. And that guy that they traded is currently shooting 48% from three. And his name is Desmond Bain. All right, 40, he's shooting 48, 48, and 82. Those are your shooting splits. That's the exact kind of guy that you needed on this team. And it's infuriating. Let's look at the 2019 draft. 
All right, so they had the 14th pick in that as well. And they picked Romeo Langford. The guys after that, Seku Dimboya, Chumo Kiki, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Goga Batadze, and Lucas Samanich. I, I don't know anything about Lucas Samanich, but those four guys drafted in between Langford and Samanich would all have better roles on the Celtics than Langford would. And then the kicker, they had Matisse Tybel and trade him to the Philadelphia 76ers. And the guy picked right after Tybel is Brandon Clark. Like, they have just been fumbling. Yes, they did a great job in that four-year stretch with Rozier, then Brown, then Tatum, right? They did a great... And then I think Time Lord was a good pick at 27-2. After that, they have been fumbling and fumbling and fumbling. And I like Grant Williams. But man, they have just fumbled so bad. Like... I think they would have been better off taking Baisley than Grant Williams. This team doesn't have any size at all. This team, Tatum's their biggest player still. And Tristan Thompson, I will say, we were both right about how he should go to Boston. But damn, I think um, I think now's the time for Tristan to just be a backup setter full-time. I think his time as a starter is done. The East is just getting too big now. I, it's crazy to say it, Dylan, because the guys are so young. Boston might have blown their best chance to build the title team. Like, Jalen and Jason are getting so much better, and they're going to be on max contracts now. And you have Kemba for two more years, and Kemba is not going to get any less injured. So, you add that element to it, and they're just going to be so so behind the eight ball, especially compared to Brooklyn and Philly and Milwaukee. I just think Boston blew it. And I don't know unless they can convince those guys to stay for another 10 years, which in today's NBA can't guarantee at all. I don't, I think they might've blown it. Dylan, what do you think? Well, again, they completely mishandled the Hayward situation. So you could justify wanting to move on from Hayward. Like it made sense. He wasn't the guy you signed, and obviously the injury was a part of that, and that was out of his control. But it it just didn't seem like it was a great fit for either side. So wanting to move on is understandable. But to to just get nothing out of that was damning because now they have nothing to trade without seriously hurting themselves further. The only thing they have to trade is Marcus Smart. And I know they don't want to trade Marcus Smart, and they shouldn't. But it's at a point where for them to seriously improve their odds of making a title run, they have to make a move. And you're not getting a great player with just a first-round pick. And these young guys have not proven enough to be valuable in trades. So, I mean, for them for them to mishandle that situation, it just it killed them because – I mean, they have to rely on young guys that aren't even that good, so they're not really tradable. And the guys that they do have that are good, if they trade, it just creates another hole. So, I mean, you have to basically rely on one of these young guys just randomly becoming awesome. And I think before the season, we thought that Romeo Langford probably had the best shot. Because we knew coming out of the draft, he was a little bit of a project. But he showed some stuff last year where, like, it made sense. Like, it, he, he could figure it out next year. And it just really hasn't happened. So, 
Or he has he even played this year? No, he's he hurt his wrist in the preseason. Okay. So yeah, I'm looking at cleaning the glass. I'm like, where the hell is his name at? Um, so you know, obviously that doesn't help, but it's like they they just put they just their roster is too concentrated at the top. And they've just done such a poor job drafting, as you mentioned, as you just went through over the past couple of years, that it's just really – it just made it clear that they just have massive holes and they have very few avenues to fill them. And it's like – obviously, this is very much revisionist history because in 2019, Kemba Walker was a lot better than Terry Rozier. We can both agree on this point. However, right at this very moment, give me Terry Rozier – over Kemba 10 times out of 10. Kemba, I I don't trust anymore, and I need to see it for a full season. I mean, yes, he is coming back from an injury, but still, he's only played 13 games this year. <laughs> His shooting splits are 36-36 and with 90 from the free throw line, which, I mean, good for him, but if you're only shooting 36% from the field and you're shooting 15 times a game, like, it's ridiculous. Terry Rozier is when Terry Rozier is more efficient than you, you got a problem. And listen, you keep bringing like you talked about the Miles Turner and Doug McDermott thing. What if you just traded Hayward for Nicola Batum? Like that would have been something better than Batum would be contributing a lot more than the nothing you're getting from that trade exception. And nobody. Like, the absolute best-case scenario is, like, they get someone like Vooch in that trade exception, right? And I, I don't even know if he'd fit in the trade exception. But that's the absolute best-case scenario, and there's no way the Magic are giving you Vooch for just, like, two first-round picks. There's no way. The Magic can do better than that, like, for Vooch. Vooch is an actually good player. And when your best-case scenario is Nikola Vucevic, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're fucked. <laughs> You're fucked. And it's a shame because Jalen Brown... Jalen Brown has been an absolutely incredible player this year. I I did an all-star pod with um JD and Zach the other day, Dylan. And Jalen Brown was my starting guard, was one of my starting guards for the East. He's been that good this year. He's making pull-ups incredibly off the dribble. He is, you know, he's just doing everything for the Celtics. He is a do-everything player. He's incredible. But you have two top 25 players, and if you're going to blow it, then you deserve to have a blow catastrophically in your face. And that's exactly what's happening. And I, we are seeing too much Semi Ojale. <laughs> Semi Ojale is playing 20 minutes a game. Semi Ojale should be playing like 10 minutes a game. He is not that good. Teams are leaving him wide open in the corner. And for right now, he's hitting them. He's hitting 38% of his threes, which good for him, right? But. Do you trust him to hit those threes in the playoffs? Do you think teams are going to stop leaving him wide open because he's hitting 38% of his threes in the regular season? Oh, you know what? This semi guy, he's hitting 38% of his threes. He takes an extra second to shoot it. Or we're just going to, we're going to leave him wide open and just wait for that little hitch to go off. No, it's a problem when Peyton Pritchard's been one of your three best players all year. And it makes it even more infuriating when you sign Jeff Teague and Jeff Teague right now is averaging fewer minutes per game than Peyton Pritchard. <laughs> because Pritchard has been not much better than he has. And this team is just so poorly constructed. And I saw a quote from Danny Ainge today, like, this is all my fault. And yes, yes, it is, Danny. You have done, listen, you did a great job of getting your team to this point where you have Brown and Tatum. But now is shit or get off the pot time. 
and he is not he's not stepping up to the plate at all. And it's it's disappointing because this team should be this team should be in the upper echelon of the conference, and they're not. You could make an argument that without Marcus Smart, the Pacers, as currently constructed, without Levert and Warren, might be better than they are. As crazy as it is to say, like this team is so so fragile and thin. I just I hate the way that they're 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 fucking over this young core. I just can't stand it. You know, this is why the risk-taking GMs are always the ones I'm always going to gravitate towards because Danny Ainge just sat on his hands too long. I mean, seriously, how many how many opportunities has he had to add a guy that was going to really elevate his team to title status? So, I mean, they've had Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum for years now, and they've they've had those guys on cheap deals, which is over, as you mentioned. They, they had an opportunity to get Kawhi. They had an opportunity to get Paul George. They had an opportunity to get Anthony Davis. And, and there's probably a bunch of other deals that we don't even know about. I mean, they, they had so many assets all these years. We always talked about how, much, how many assets they had. Oh, they have the Grizzlies pick. Oh, yeah, by the way, the Grizzlies are way better than expected. Oh, they have this pick and that pick. It's like the Kings pick. Remember, they had the vaunted Kings pick and the Kings finished with right outside of the playoffs. Yeah, it's like it's like shockingly when a team doesn't have its first round pick, it's actually going to try to win. It's really crazy how that works. But it's it's just amazing that that he just assumes that there was always something better. I mean, he completely lived with a grass. There's a a grass is greener on the other side type of mentality. It's he, he never wanted to give up assets for, for a superstar and it bit him in the ass because we're, we're at a point now where there's, where there's no one left. I mean, he was probably looking at Giannis too. Guess what? Giannis is gone. So what they're, they're down to the Victor Oladipo type of guys, the guys that, that think they're superstars that aren't. I mean, seriously, look at the league right now. Who, who is available? James Harden's not available. Kevin Durant's not available. Braun's not available. Anthony Davis isn't available. Hell, Rudy Gobert's not available. Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell. There's no one available. Brad, you know, Brad Beal might be, but he seems like he wants to stay in Washington. Hey, so, the, the Wizards had a good week for once. Yeah. And hell, they beat they beat the, the uh, Celtics. It's like, why would I go to a team? This, my shitty team beat them. I'm not going there. So... There's, there's no one left, and there may not be anyone left for a while. So, I mean, they're screwed. Like, And, you know, things happen quickly in the NBA. I mean, it, would it really shock you if in, like, six months, Carl Anthony Towns asked out, you know? No. There's always, there's always someone. There's always someone that's going to get mad in their situation. Um, but, I mean, the, they're, the window is closed for them right now. And, again, it could open up, but – they just keep shooting themselves in the foot and digging themselves in a deeper hole. And, you know, the deeper hole you're in, the harder it is to get out. And let's face it. Everything you said is right. But it's just like, I want to go back to that Wizards game. So I know you, I know you really didn't watch the Wizards game. I watched. So what I've been doing, Dylan, I know I told you I watch halves. I'm trying to watch a little more. So like in a close, like close game like that, I'll start in the middle of a second quarter, right? The Celtics effort was just abysmal. To the fucking Wizards, 
Like, this is the worst team in the league. They're worse than Detroit. They're worse than Minnesota. They're worse than Oklahoma City. They're worse than all those teams because they have no fucking talent. And you know what the Wizards did? They out-hustled them. They out-hearted them. And it's like, it's the little things like that. you got to try when you're not going to be a premier team in your conference. You can't be content with the second round. And it looks like the Celtics are going to be content with the second round. They've made two conference finals in the last three seasons. They're not going to make the conference finals this year. There's absolutely no way. They can't beat Milwaukee. They can't beat Brooklyn. They can't beat Philadelphia. They can't. They don't have options to stop any of those teams. They're probably best equipped to stop Brooklyn, I'll say, because Marcus Smart and Brown and Tatum are all incredible defensive players. And I think Jalen Brown actually, now that I'm thinking about it, is just an incredible heart and stopper. But even then, I don't think that they could stop Brooklyn. I, I just don't think they could. They have no... This is the problem, right? More and more firepower is going across the league, right? You know, the Nets, the Pacers are going to have a lot more firepower than the Celtics are in a couple, like, let's just say two months from now, right? They'll just have firepower, fun firepower that the Celtics don't have. Like, imagine the Celtics having the Pacers depth. We would consider them a title contender. We would. If you you put Jeremy Lamb on their bench right now, it's a drastically better situation. He'd be in the contention for six man of the year. <laughs> like, if you just cobbled bench players, right? Like, let's just say you took a Thaddeus Young here and a Davis Bertans there, and you put them on the Celtics bench. And I know Bertans is making a shit ton of money, but let's just act like he's not. <laughs> you would you would have a suitable team, but they have no depth. Again, Semi Ojale is not good enough. Grant Williams, not good enough. Grant Williams... I saw someone say that he's the spiritual successor to Chuck Hayes, and that was the perfect example. And you have three small centers on this team. Tristan Thompson, who I love, is a small center. Tice is a small center. And a lot of times, those two guys are playing alongside each other. Like, Tice is not a power forward. I actually think Tice is really good. (laughs) But he is not, like, they're both centers, in this day and age, you need a better power forward. And maybe Jalen Brown's your power forward of the future. Or Tatum is. I don't know. You need more wing depth. You need more guard depth. You just need depth, depth, depth. They have. Okay, so let's just look at the full healthy roster. I think Tice is a good seventh man on a contending team. I think Tristan Thompson is your good backup center on a contending team. I think Peyton Pritchard is a great backup guard. I think TJ McConnell with a jumper is the perfect way to describe him. Right. Kemba Walker when healthy is one of the best creating guards in the league. Marcus Smart when healthy is a disruptor. Jalen Brown, we're seeing he's only getting better and better, and he is just an incredible basketball player. And obviously Tatum, the sky's the limit with Tatum with his potential. I think he I think he has the potential to be better than like people are always like hyping up Luca. I think Jason Tatum has the potential to be better than Luca. I think he's that talented. And this team just needs more than that. Robert Williams, they have too many centers who are 6'8". <laughs> Robert Williams is in the Isaiah Stewart school. I think I did this comparison when I was talking about Isaiah Stewart, but neither of those guys seem like they're 6'8", but somehow they're 6'8". I'd never heard of Javante Green in my life, and yet this dude is playing 18 or 15 minutes a game for this team. Um, Aaron Neesmith... It's only 13 games into his career, but he's a bust. Carson Edwards, I know, sorry, Dylan, I hate to do this to you, but Carson Edwards should not be in the league. <laughs> Maybe not on a contender. Put him on, like, what's a middling team that won't hurt your feelings? Put him on the Knicks. They, the Knicks could use him. That's, that's not too harsh. He's going to find his way. 
he'll I think Carson Edwards is good, but I don't think he's good enough yet. Yeah. And the, like he's played he's only played 13 games and only 10 minutes a game, but even that feels like a little too much. This team just isn't ready for prime time. And it's crazy because we're talking about a team that made the conference finals last year, but they let Horford go for nothing. They let Rozier go in the signing trade. They let Hayward go. You think about it, that's three huge pieces that are contributing to other teams around the league right now. If they had Horford, I would guarantee we're not even having this conversation. But they don't have Horford. (laughs) Horford's in Oklahoma City now. And guess what? You are not going to trade for him because you don't trust him because Danny Ainge probably thinks he's too old. Although there's a chance that Danny Ange might say he almost traded for Al Horford. Who knows at this point? Celtics have a NBA fund in media, and I'm not going to name names, but if Danny Ainge wants you to know he almost traded for somebody, he's going to tell a certain p- reporter who might may or may not work at Sports Illustrated. Um, you, you can probably guess who I'm referring to, Dylan. I'm not going to say, and I'm not going to name names, but I think that the Celtics have just really fumbled the bag here. And listen. Like, cleaning the glass has them as the 10th-ranked defense in the league right now, but the offense is purely average, and a 1.6-point differential for this team isn't enough. They had a 7-point-point differential last year. (laughs) They were top four in both offense and defense, and they're just not going to get back to that level. And they're not as good as they were last year. And Dylan, do you think that they could ever be as good as they were last year with this current iteration of the team? Well, that would rely on on Kemba Walker going crazy from three again because a lot of it was that. And from what we've seen thus far, it's it's if if it comes to that, it's going to be a long time down the future. So, I mean, I'm, I wouldn't put it past them to make somewhat of a late season run. You know, again, they're having some injury issues, but. Ha- <laughs> Jeff Teague really just bums me out. Like, listen, you have Kemba Walker, who is a very undersized defender. Why would you make his backup a very undersized defender? It doesn't make any sense to me. It's energy. <sighs> I, it's it's mind-boggling. Like, they have no perimeter defenders that I trust outside of Tatum and Brown, and they have no – and some, obviously Marcus Smart – but other Marcus Smart should be back soon, I think. But I think the team will look a lot better once Marcus Smart is back. But if Marcus Smart is what's hinging on you looking like even a competent team with ball movement, and that's a confusing part about this team. I don't know how they go from losing to the losing to the Wizards and then beating the Nuggets when Jokic drops forty three on their head. It just makes no sense. Like this team was so confusing this week, and then they lost to the Hawks. I think what it is is that they don't have smart and Murray was not the best in that nuggets game. Like just from what I saw. And if you could take advantage of the guards, like Beal, uh, Beal torched them, Trey torched them. Um, but there was no really Detroit guard that, t- but sneak Bay torched them, I guess. But if you have a small guard right now and you're playing the Celtics, you're liking your chops because you're going to get whatever the hell you want. Not even a small guard, just a two guard, even. Just any guard that plays the Celtics is going to lick their chops in. Um, Dylan, is there any any way in hell that this team can make the conference finals this season? You know, what they have going for them is that outside of Milwaukee, Philly, and Brooklyn, there's not a ton going on. But 
I would say it's not a high chance because the two teams I look at that are going to have better second halves and first halves are Miami and Indiana just because of injuries. I mean, Miami hasn't had Goran Dragic for this whole time, I think. Um, apologies, my power went out, so I had to switch to uh, wireless uh, Bluetooth connection. So if I sound different, I will. I apologize, but we. I feel like we touched on everything we wanted to touch on about the Celtics. So let's go ahead and move on to my Golden State Warriors. So the Warriors, the Warriors had an up and down week. Um, they started, they started the week by beating the Magic one eleven to one hundred five, and then they got blown out by the Nets. 134 to 117. Then they destroyed the Cavaliers 129 to 98. And then they beat the Miami Heat 120 to 112 in overtime. They are currently 16 and 13 and 7 in the Western Conference. Um, Dylan, what have you seen that you've liked so far from the Golden State Warriors? Steph Curry. He's been what I liked. I mean, for God's sakes, like, I mean, I know he's good, but damn. I mean, he has been insanely good. And it's just from someone that appreciates efficiency from a lead ball handler, I mean, he is like exactly what you want. I mean, it doesn't matter how many threes he shoots. Like, he makes enough of them for it to pay off. And I was thinking about this. I don't think he's the best player I've ever seen, but I think he is – the most entertaining just in the way that he scores. So LeBron and Jordan, they got points the hard way, you know, like they, they use their body and obviously very difficult to consistently score like that. But what's amazing to me about Curry is, you know, shooting from 20 feet out, 25 feet out consistently and making them like that's not easy. Shooting is something that comes and goes unlike strength and guys like LeBron and Jordan can rely on strength to score, but Curry like just constantly has to sharpen that tool and keep his skills on point where he can just consistently make these threes. And I just think that that's what makes, that's what I, you know, we all know, where he's going to stand at the end of the day. Like he's going to be the best shooter of all time. And, you know, as far as player ranking all time, there's still a lot of time to figure that out. But I mean, he's going to be looked at as one of the best players ever. And one of the most unique players compared to everyone that's played the game up to this point. And he just continues to improve upon his legacy and, it's, it's fun watching this year because he's basically the only guy. I mean, obviously Draymond is still there, but Draymond's not really what he was. He's still playing very well, but he's not what he was. Clay Thompson's not there. Like, it's just a very different team. It's it's kind of a – it's it's basically Steph, Draymond, and then a bunch of guys that either no one knows or people kind of doubted. So it's it's an interesting mix of guys, but lately they've they've put it together, and you know they it, it's been kind of an up and down uh, ride up to this point. But it's it's like everything comes back to Steph Curry, and because of that, they've they've been uh, they've been able to keep up. 
yeah, Steph to me is incredible. Like watching him move off the ball. Like you could learn so much about basketball just by watching Steph Curry move off the ball. He is honestly one of the best off ball movers that the game has ever seen. And the screening too. Steph is such an amazing screener that he can free up so many players just because they're two guys glued to him anytime he sets a screen. So like Kelly Oubre in particular can get a lot of these. If he just waits for Steph to set a back screen for him, he'll be wide open for like two or three dunks a game. And it's incredible how wide open that these guys can get off of a Steph screen. And I feel like we got to talk about Draymond though. Draymond is not having the best shooting here because let's see what he is shooting. He is only shooting. I know it's like 30 something percent from the field. He is shooting 36% from the field and 18% from three, but he's averaging eight assists a game and 1.4 steals. The man is just, we talked about his IQ earlier, but his IQ is off the charts. He's one of the smartest players in the whole league. And the team really took a jump once he got back. And the team, I think, was really struggling before Draymond came back or before Draymond came back from his injury. And he's just been incredible in the like just on offense and on defense. And what have you seen from Draymond that you've liked so far, Dylan? Well, see, one of the things I've always loved about Draymond and what's always made Golden State as good as they were is because he unlocks everything for everyone else on both sides of the floor. So on defense, you know, he's a guy that that can take on the best player. He can literally guard anyone. I mean, they've been playing him at center lately with Wiseman out, and it's been working great. They played him at center, obviously, a lot before with the death lineup. So it's it's nothing new. But, I mean, he's he's really of the past 10 years, he's one of the – one of the best defenders we've had in the league and offensively really everyone always wants to talk about Steph and clay hitting shots, but Draymond sets a lot of those shots up. I mean, Draymond is handling the ball a ton. And as you just mentioned, Steph, Steph is off ball a lot. He's setting screens. He's out there moving around and the guy finding him on a lot of these is Draymond. And I mean, he's had a bunch of games this year where he'll score like four points, but get like 15 assists. And it's just so enjoyable looking at those stat lines because he just does not care at all about points. I mean, he'll take them when they're there, but he's his job on offense is to get these guys open and find them. And that's why, like, it was it was kind of depressing last year to have both of them not really playing together because j- just seeing – I mean, they're just such a perfect match for each other. And again, Clay fits right in with that too. But unfortunately, he's not there this season. But just watching those two get back to their old ways has been really fun. And it's crazy because on this Warriors team, no one's a good shooter besides Steph. Like Toscano Anderson is good, and I want to talk about Toscano Anderson because I really like the way he plays basketball. But. I mean, Oubre can't really shoot. Wiggins, I don't trust him from out there. He's shooting 37% right now. I don't trust him. Um, Wiseman didn't play this week. He should be back. I think actually probably whenever the Warriors play next, he should be back. But I think Steve Kerr said last Thursday he'd be out for one more week. So he'll be – we're recording this on Thursday. So the next time the Warriors play, he should be back. 
Um, Looney can't shoot whenever he plays, and he's hurt right now. Wanamaker, um, more like Wanamisser. Bazemore <laughs> <laughs> is... Bazemore is shooting 46% from three, but he is only taking two a game. And let's face it, we don't trust Bazemore to take to make 46% of his threes. He is not that good. So what they're doing is mostly the defensive intensity for them. The defense is off the charts for the Warriors right now. And let's, let me just check the stats real quick because I know their defensive rating is high. They are seventh in points per 100 right now on cleaning the glass, giving up 110.7 points for 100. Now their offense is really middling, but Dylan, do you think that the Warriors can maintain this defense that they've shown, the strong defense they've shown so far through the season? You know, after last night against the Heat, I 100% believe in that defense because me and you were texting before the game with Draymond being out. I mean, they're literally down every person on the roster capable of being a center. So Marquise Chris is out for the year. Kevon Looney's hurt. James Wiseman is hurt. And Draymond, as I mentioned, who's playing center, is hurt. So their option, their best option was, hey, Toscano Anderson's 6'6". He would be a good option to play a center. And so beforehand, we're like, okay, Bam is going to absolutely annihilate them and probably put up 40. And the Heat are going to have no problem beating this team. Bam did not put up 40. I don't even think he put up 20. I never looked at the the box score at the end of the game, but I know he got into foul trouble and he was just not really there. And a lot of that was because they the Warriors were just very active in denying him in the post. And their defense as a whole, like it doesn't really matter who's on the floor. They're all very active and aggressive and they're jumping passing lanes and they're hedging if they need to. I mean, there's a lot of activity. And I mean that that's how you play defense if you're short manned or undersized. You know, like you gotta you gotta take some risks, you gotta be be annoying, basically. And that's what they were last night. And it allowed them to get back into the game. I mean, they were down double figures with like six minutes left in that fourth quarter. And they came back and ended up winning in overtime. And, you know, the Heat don't have an insane amount of offensive firepower, so I mean, we saw them to begin the week got blown out by Brooklyn, for example. I mean, there's those types of offenses they're not going to be able to shut down, especially if they are undersized defensively. But some of these teams, man, just by playing aggressive, they're able to take advantage of. And when you got Steph Curry flaming on the other end, you know, it's it's going to give you a, a big advantage. Yeah, and I feel like, one of the reasons their defense has been so frenetic this year is this is by far the most effort we've seen for Andrew Wiggins. Like he is all over the place on defense. He is one of their best players period this year. And it's incredible because I'm not, he was a bust from Minnesota, but he is the way he's playing right now is the purpose, the idealized role for him because he can cut, he can create a little off the dribble, but not too much. He can, He's basically just playing off of Draymond and Steph really well. And what have you seen from Wiggins so far that you've liked? You know, I've always liked the idea of Wiggins, but he's just never been consistent enough. But I think last night was a great example of what he could be. I mean, he was he was fantastic last night. It seems like every time they needed a bucket from him, whether it be a catch and shoot in the corner or a cut, he was making shots, man, and, like, he's always been good at getting to the rim. 
So it's not surprising when he does stuff like that. But, I mean, he was just fantastic last night. I mean, 23 points, eight rebounds, um, four of nine from three. Like, obviously, you can't expect that every night. But, you know, he ideally should be a great complimentary player to someone like Steph because when you have lanes opened up for cutters, someone like Wiggins is great because, I mean, he's he's just always been able to get to the rim and score. And if you add the shooting on top of that, I mean, that's a very effective offensive player. And, you know, like you mentioned, he's been a lot more active on defense, which, you know, I almost can't blame him for not really caring in Minnesota because I don't think anyone ever cares when they play for Minnesota. It's it's kind of just like a what's the point? Um, and maybe Wiggins kind of fell into that. But, I mean, with Golden State, even going back to last year, you've you've seen a different side of him. And he hasn't, you know, dramatically improved since he's gotten there. But just just being more consistent with his effort, I think, has really, really helped him. Yeah, and he's averaging 1.3 blocks a game this year. And do you know his previous career high before he was in Golden State? Do you want to guess what it was? Uh, Probably like half of that, maybe, or a little bit lower. You are correct, sir. 0.7 blocks per game before in Minnesota. He is using his length really well, and he's just really the perfect fit for this kind of Warriors team. I don't think him and Oubre fit well together. I will say, but I understand the gamble on Ubre. It, it makes sense, especially when you you don't have your second best player, so you got or your third best player. I'll say, but you got to gamble. But man, Ubre to me, uh, the fit with Ubre, I think they could make it work, and I think you're starting to see how it could work now. He's shooting a little better than three from three because I know he was like two for twenty one to start the season or something like that, and now he's at thirty one percent. But, man, do you, do you see any way where Kelly Oubre can fit in with this Golden State Warriors team? You know, last night I was thinking, like, this is how it has to be. But basically you have to have them both being efficient in their role, and I think that's hard to expect consistently. Last night it worked. I mean, they were, what, 8 of 16 from 3. That's just not going to happen. But that's how it has to be. You have to have them not wasting possessions because, I mean, both of those guys are kind of prone to getting their own shot and kind of wasting it. I mean, there's a lot of pull-up pull up jump shots. There's a lot of dribbling that goes nowhere. And you can have one guy like that on your team, and it may be kind of healthy to have someone like that just just for a little bit of upside and, and you know, maybe creating something. But – Having two guys like that alongside Steph, who needs the ball too, it's it's tough to see it working. And if they could just get um, a shooter that didn't really need the ball, kind of like a clay type, you know. Obviously, you're not going to get clay back uh, or anything close to it. But someone like that that can kind of just stand there and move around and play solid defense – if you can flip Ubre into someone like that, that would be great. You just described the guy, I think. You just described J.J. Redick. If they could flip Ubre into J.J. Redick, Dylan, are you telling me that that wouldn't be an absolute win for the Warriors? Are you telling me that they could not use J.J. Redick right now? They definitely could. 
I'm a little bit worried that Reddick is close to washed. Um, but, you know, he has played for a terrible, terrible shooting team that doesn't help him. So, you know, that's definitely the type of guy at the very least. He's back. JJ's back up to 37% from three. I'm sure he'll bounce back to 40% before the end of the season. I think that they just need another shooter. This team to me is pretty well set. I don't know. I don't think they could they could be either LA team in the playoffs. And I don't know if they could beat Utah. But you could maybe convince me into them beating Denver. Steph is better than 97% of the players in the conference. Because he's not better. I wouldn't say he's better than Kawhi, and I wouldn't say he's better than LeBron. And that's about it. So he's going to be the best player in most series that he plays in. They can't outgun Utah because Steph is good as he is. Utah is just going to be dynamic and Utah, Utah, the LA's are the three best teams to me, I would say. And I just, I can't see Steph outgunning them, but if he can, that's great. And I want to see, I want to see this team in the playoffs. I want to see if the, the defense holds up. Let's talk about Toscano Anderson here because I feel like he's been a revelation. What if, like when you watch the Warriors, what have you seen from Toscano Anderson that you like? Um, kind of everything. He's he's kind of one of those do it all types where he's like a jack of all trades, master of none. I mean, he doesn't waste possessions. Like he can pass a bit, he can dribble a bit. He's decent on defense. Like he's he's a good positional defender at the very least. And, you know, I like that he wears number 95. Him and him and uh, DeAndre Bembry, I think, are the only two guys I've ever seen wear that. And and there's a soft spot in my heart for both of them for that because, I mean, 95 is a very bold number to wear. But, you know, just the story for him is so great. Like, so he goes undrafted in 2015. And apparently he didn't submit his name to the draft until very late. He probably didn't think he even had a shot, which it didn't seem like he did. He plays in Mexico for four years and then gets picked up by Santa Cruz Warriors and ends up on the Golden State Warriors. I mean, that's like a rags to riches type of basketball career. And, you know, every once in a while we get someone like this that goes through it and, you know, plays in a different country for a few years, comes over and finds his way. And it's nice. It's really been nice to watch him. I mean, it seems like with all these injuries, like his role just keeps getting elevated and elevated and he just keeps stepping up to the plate and, and doing, he doing his thing. And I mean, he, you know, he, he hasn't elevated them like to a superior level or anything with him on the floor, but I mean, he's been holding his own and he's definitely been, uh, been playing his role fine. Yeah. He's on two way right now. I can't see any reason why he's not going to be a permanent part of the roster even after James Wiseman comes back, he's been playing his ass off for the Warriors, and he does a little bit of everything. He's a good passer. You know, he's Steph's teammate, as Bleacher Report labeled him, on that one play against the Magic. And I, I watched that play, and it was an incredible play because he plays with the kind of joy that's even palpable through, a t- like, a screen, right, where he throws that pass to Steph across the court. And it he knows Steph is going to make it before <laughs> Steph even catches the ball. And it's just like, he's a good passer. He's a good rebounder. He does a little bit of everything for them. He's, 
shooting 42% from three. He's only taking one and a half a game, but he's just filling in like gaps for them. And he's doing a wonderful job of playing, being a role player. And I can't see any reason why he's not going to get minutes. Like again, even after Wiseman gets back, he's been playing his ass off for the Warriors. And I'm, I'm excited to see his growth potentially continue to grow. I'll say as the season goes along, because I think he could be like a 20 minute, a name, a game guy in the playoffs. Yeah. And that's, what's interesting about this team. Like, as you mentioned, they're not going to be the top three teams in the West, but there's enough there where they could challenge everyone else. And if they are able to find a better fit than Oubre, so Curry, Wiggins, Green, Wiseman, and Wiseman's been fine. I mean, they their most used lineup has Wiseman in it, and it's not been good. But they like they've been much better with Green and Looney at center, um, and hell, even Pascal at center has worked better. But they're they're kind of one guy away from stepping it up a notch and. I mean, having a guy like Toscano Anderson that can just you can just throw out there and you know he's not going to hurt you. Uh, I mean, that's always that's good for any team. And and like I mean, like we both just talked about on both sides of the floor, he's he's playing his ass off, and it's it's been fun to watch. Yeah, and let's talk about Pascal real quick because I feel like that's the last thing we need to touch on because Baysmore. Let's just say Bazemore is trying his best, and that's what he does. He plays with a lot of energy, and I'd like to see him more with the starters. But I like his energy a lot, and I think off the bench he's good. Wanamaker's been absolutely atrocious. Um, but Pascal to me is interesting because you watch him, and it feels like he misses a lot of shots when you're watching him, and he feels like he shoots a lot, but he's at 51% from the field right now. And it feels like he's a mid-range killer. So obviously in the game last night he played an instrument part in the comeback um how did you feel watching eric pascal as this season compared to last well you know it's been a lot different because last year he got to a point where he was like their best player (laughs) they were so injured that he was their best player which was uh, a little bit depressing but you know i like watching him like he has a very unique shot he kind of like gets in the air and just hangs there for a little bit and like does some weird stuff with his arms. And I don't know. It's, it's kind of an odd shot, but I, I like watching him and I don't know why I just always am gravitating towards mid range pull-up guys, despite the fact that we know it's a inefficient shot. There's just something about someone that can knock those down consistently. And as you mentioned, uh, Pascal is one of those guys. I mean, <laughs> he's shooting 52% on long mid-range shots right now, which is pretty pretty nuts. Um, but he's just a fun guy to watch. And, like, these, these bench guys that don't really do a ton outside of hitting shots, I just always love watching them. It's just, it's just fun. And, and we've talked about our love for Villanova guys. And uh, obviously, Pascal is uh, the NBA uh, version of of what we've been seeing out of Villanova. And it's just another great example of Jay Wright's wisdom. You know, always draft Villanova, guys. That's my that's my overarching strategy. Um, Just I love the way he just is fearless off the dribble. Like there's something to be said for a six, seven, two, 240 pound guy 
just willing to like cross guys over and just pull up at the free throw line, even if it's contested and just knowing it's going to go in more often than it doesn't. Like, I think the mid range is coming back, Dylan. And I, I just like, I feel like it watching the game, we see a lot more mid ranges than even we did in the past, like last year. I feel like last year was the peak point, And I feel like it's going to go back towards mid range and we'll, we'll maybe peak on that again, but you need a guy like Pascal in the second unit who can carve up, guys and get to his spots and make open jumpers and not even open, but make contested jumpers. And he is great at that. Hell against the in crunch time, not crunch time in garbage time against the, the nets on Saturday, he was carving up the nets. He was just getting wherever he wanted and he was just eating against them. He was seven for 10. And I think all those points, all 16 of those points came in the fourth quarter. He is a phenomenal player and I want to see him grow and I want to see him be the best version of himself. He can't be because I think that the best version of Eric Pascal is going to be a NBA contributor for the next several seasons. I think he's really that good. Yeah, and on your mid-range point, I think the mid-range shots have almost become a market inefficiency in the opposite way where there's no one guarding them now because everyone goes to the rim and threes. So you have so much open space in the middle of the floor to just shoot. And if you're a good shooter, you're going to make open jump shots from anywhere. So, got you know, guys like that, I definitely think um, have a shot. And, you know, there's there's guys that haven't completely given away the mid-range shot. Like DeMar DeRozan, I don't think ever will. You know, guys like that, they're not going to give it up, and I respect it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Pascal definitely has a shot to, uh, to stick around because he's just – I mean, he can get his own shot. If you can get your own shot, that's going to carry you a long way in the NBA. Yeah. Anything else on the Warriors before we move on to to your Minnesota Timberwolves? You know, I had higher hopes for Brad Wanamaker. Like, I I just – I feel like he's better than the stats show. Like, every time I watch him, I don't see a – terrible shooter that never makes shots <laughs> but then I look at the box was like oh my god he was awful so it's kind of sad like I don't really care that much about him but I just feel like he's he's better than he actually is <laughs> that's that's fair I just feel like I never was a fan of him in Boston even so him going to Golden State and being I Dylan I, I don't think it's unfair to say that he is worse than he was in Boston last year oh and no, I'm not shocked at all I'll, I'll just say that, but moving on to the Minnesota Timberwolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves, I would say, so they're seven and 22. They're last in the Western conference and they had um, a week that wasn't as bad as it looks when you first say it, they went one and three, but they lost on Friday to the Charlotte Hornets, 114 to 120. They beat the Toronto Raptors on Sunday, 116 to 112. They lost to the Toronto. They lost to the Los Angeles Lakers, one hundred four to one twelve, and then they lost to the your Indiana Pacers. That must have been a conflicting game for you yesterday, one twenty eight to one thirty four in overtime in a game where Sabonis just frankly dominated. Um, the Timberwolves have been ravaged by COVID and injuries all year. We talked about it at the front how D'Angelo Russell is going to be out for the next four to six weeks. Um, Dylan, what have you? What did you see from the Timberwolves this week that you like? Okay, so before talking about the actual basketball, I have a very important realization with the Timberwolves that I think is really going to change a lot of things in the world. 
and people people need to know this and, and start paying attention to it. But the Minnesota Timberwolves have eight players on their roster that's first name starts with J. Now that makes up the majority of their roster. And there's just a complete overrepresentation of J names here that we just don't see in the world. I mean, this is a world where you'll meet a, you know, a Justin or a Josh every once in a while, but to have a team with 15 players on it where eight players have the name J is just amazing. So let's just, in case, in case you're, you're, you're forgetting some names here, let's go through it. So you got Jared Vanderbilt, you got Josh Hakogi, you got Jaden McDaniels, you got Jarrett Culver, Jake Lehman, Jordan McLaughlin, Juan Hernan Gomez, and Jalen Noel. Now, the beautiful thing about that is that there is not a single repeat name. We have well, there are eight, two Jarrett's. Um, or I guess Jared and Jarrett. I guess that's a little. There's Did you Jared, say Jared Culver? Yeah. Jared and Jarrett are two different names. It's close. It's close. close. But you have, you have eight unique J names. I mean, when I realized that it it really changed my outlook on them for me. So if you have any, if you have any take on that, I would love to hear it. I mean, listen, you know, it's, it's definitely crazy now that you brought it up, but I was thinking about it, right? Like a lot of the guys that I like watching on this team, aside Jake Lehman's one of the guys I don't like watching on this team, but I like, I like Wancho, you know, that's the thing about Juan Hernan Gomez. His name is actually Wancho. Right. Um, but you know, it's, this is incredible journalism by you, Dylan. This is why you paid money to go to journalism school. Let's be real here. Um, this is the real reason why you were put on this earth is to expose the Minnesota Timberwolves for only having Jays on their team. Ironically, they are not that good at shooting Jays. You know, it's it's something they're working on, but um, their best players happen to not be named with the J. So may, maybe that maybe they're getting some uh, payback for that. So you better not be slandering um, Jordan McLaughlin. Oh, I'm not. I actually have a, a Jordan McLaughlin comp that I think you're going to like, which actually is another J name now that I think about it. So this this is truly turning out to be incredible content, but so let's, let's talk about the best players on this team. Okay. So obviously Carl Anthony towns just got back from being out for what feels like three months with COVID. And I mean, for God's sakes, man, what a horrible year for Carl Anthony towns. Yeah, truly. Both his parents get it. His mom passed away and then he ends up getting it. I mean, just, just a heartbreaking year for Carl Anthony towns. Um, and you know, I'm sure he's happy to be back and getting some sort of normalcy back in his life. Cause it's, I imagine it's been incredibly tough for him. Um, but so he's back and I think that's why we've seen them play a little bit better this week. As you mentioned, they were one in three, but they were close in the other games. I mean, they played the Lakers close. They lost to the Pacers close, and I forget what the other game was that they lost. They lost. They lost to the Hornets. Was that a close game? I didn't pay attention it, to that. One. It was one sixteen to one twelve. Okay. So, or sorry, one twenty to one fourteen. I was reading you. I remember the score from the uh, the Raptors game. 
No, they all four of the games were close this week. It was a market improvement from before Cat came back. Yeah, and you know it's it's just shocking that when you have Nas Reed starting at center, you're not going to be great at basketball. And I'm not, and I will. I actually love Nas Reed, so I'm not going to shit on him. But uh, I'll get to him in a bit. So you know, Cat's back. Malik Beasley is just a sharpshooter. I mean. <laughs> The Nuggets, like, God. I mean, we've talked about this trade on the podcast so many times at this point. But them just giving away Malik Beasley uh, for basically Kieda Bates-Diop, and I don't know what else was involved in that trade, but it wasn't much. I mean, just an awful trade for the Nuggets. And, I mean, just watching the Nuggets here, they could really use Malik Beasley. Who would you rather have right now? Gary Harris or Malik Beasley? Genuine question. I mean, Gary Harris has not been very good for basically a year and a half now. He's great on defense, but he is not giving you what you need on offense. And the, he hasn't done it. Gary Harris, I'm ready to say that shooting was a fluke. Like, it was a fluke. Who would you rather have right now, Malik Beasley or Will Barton? Probably Beasley. He's been that good this year. And listen, you, you've known, I, you and I, before we started doing the podcast, you've known I was on the Beasley train. You know I love Malik Beasley. And I said at the time it was a terrible trade for the, the Nuggets. Like, he was by far their most dynamic young guard. I thought he was a lot better than Tory Craig, which was the calculus they were making. They're like, oh, t- we can get exactly what we want from Malik Beasley out of Tory Craig, which they obviously didn't get. <laughs> personally speaking, but he's Malik is playing out of his mind this year. He's 39, 39% from three on basically 40. You want to round up from 39.8, 21 points a game. (laughs) He is just playing so much better than I think anyone probably thought he could. And he's not, you know, dishing a lot of points, but he's a shooting guard. He's just shooting and he's doing a phenomenal job of it. I love the way he's playing so far for the, for the wolves. Hold on, I'm going to uh, pause it real quick. Okay. Pause the recording. And Beasley, to me, just has been... Like, the guard position is so deep in the Western Conference right now, but he's been really a standout at the two that there aren't really a whole lot of in the West. Like, if you put him on a contender right now... Caleb brought this up when we were doing our uh, trade pod, our trades pod, like, a couple of weeks ago. Malik Beasley would be a perfect fit instead of Danny Green right now in Philadelphia. Mm. That would be, like... It would be such a good fit instead of instead of Danny Green, but I don't know why Minnesota would do that trade. It literally Beasley's been playing so well. There's no reason to get rid of him. Like he's he's only 24. He's gonna grow with your core. I actually have a Carl Anthony Towns comparison that I think you're gonna like. I, I let me know if you're ready for this. The Carl Anthony Towns comparison that I have, he is the modern Dirk Nowitzki. Here's why. He is very skilled. He will be a good player even after he has athleticism baits because he basically shoots standstill. <laughs> he's the only guy that he would thrive in the 50s because he, he shoots a set shot and also he's 10 times more athletic than like the guys that played in the 50s except Wilt. But <laughs> he is going to be able to shoot even when he's going to be able to uh, shoot when he doesn't have any athleticism. And if Dirk was playing in this era, Dylan, Dirk would be a center. 
Dirk wouldn't play power forward, and we'd see the defensive results that we see from Carl Anthony Towns. Basically, massive drop coverage and not a whole lot of mobility on the perimeter and just losing a lot of guys. What do you think of that comparison? I think it's great. The only issue I'm having is that that would basically make D'Angelo Russell Steve Nash, and I'm not really seeing that right now. (laughs) Well, listen, we didn't say – He's not leading the map, the wolves to the success that Dirk did, but also like, I think I do think cat would be a power forward. If he played in the last decade, I don't think he would have been a center and I don't think he has the defensive instincts to be a center as, and listen, he's out of shape right now. I don't think there's really any going around that. And he's still dominating. Like he's in the, I saw, I haven't checked the stats in the fourth game. I'm going to look those up real quick. But he's just been ever since he got back from COVID, he's still he can't really move. <laughs> and he's been playing so well. And let's see, let's do the four games since he's or he's been back for five games now. He is 21 points a game, nine rebounds. <laughs> what is he shooting from three? 46% from three on five attempts. That is just him recovering from COVID and just coming back. Because he's clearly out of shape. Like you you would agree, like he's out of shape. He doesn't look like he's playing well right now. And he's still just it's getting effortless points. He is such a good shooter that I think he is going to be fine to play until he's like in his mid-30s. And I just really want to see some defensive improvement from him because we haven't seen it. He's this far into his career, and he has not gotten any better on defense at all. That's the one thing I would like to see. But other than that, I, mean, I can't really complain much about Cat. I feel like the offensive end, he's a pretty perfect offensive player. Yeah, and you know, a comp I remember earlier on in his career, it actually may have been when he was coming out of the draft, was Al Horford. And obviously the defensive part of that uh, doesn't add up at the moment. But offensively, I mean, look at Al Horford right now. Like, he's he's an old guy that's still very important to a team just because of his offensive skill set. And, I mean, I could definitely see Cat in like 10 years being Al Horford. And again, you know, maybe defensively it won't be the same, but offensively at least, I mean, he's a good passer. He's a great shooter. He's got the the footwork in the post. I mean, he's he's got he's got the skill set to last a long, long time in the NBA. And I just pray to God that he gets someone to help at some point because I mean he he's had it rough in Minnesota. And I will just say I like what they're building around him right now. The young pieces that they have, I want to talk real quick about Jared Vanderbilt. I know you said you didn't really have any strong opinions on him. I love the way this kid plays. Like, I just love guys that crash the offensive class, and he's averaging two offensive rebounds a game in 20 minutes. (laughs) That's pretty good. Um, I love guys that crash the class. I love guys that play hard inside, and he is just – he is playing hard all the time. They asked him to guard LeBron. That's something I've been watching. Like if we watch teams that play the Lakers, I ask, I watch who they ask to guard LeBron and they ask Vanderbilt to do it. And listen, no one's going to do a good job on LeBron, but if you can, like if the team trusts you to guard LeBron, that says something to me, right? Where it's like a Kogi's been not good this year. I know you love a Kogi, but he has not been shining well, but yeah, Jared Vanderbilt's been standing out to me. And then Jaden McDaniels, he is not like shooting well. He's a rookie. But I just love the way this kid plays. Like, he, he's he got the IQ about him. 
He's in the, always in the right places at the right time. He's shooting 38% from three. And he's only... He's somehow only shooting 39.8% from the field, but 38% from three. Like, that's a real good sign. I just... I love the young power forwards that they're building around Cat because coming into the season, that was the biggest concern was the four position. And now they seem to have that all pretty well figured out. And then the guy that I think Stan stood out to both of us, and I'll, I'll toss it to you on this one, Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards plays his ass off, and I I love the way that kid plays. He He's not shooting great right now. He's a rookie. Rookies don't shoot well from the field. He's only shooting 38% from the field, 32% from three. Um, but he's shooting 80% from the foul line and averaging 15 points a game. So, Dylan, what have you seen so far from Anthony Edwards that you've liked? For anyone listening that has not watched the Timberwolves-Lakers game, if you want to see what Anthony Edwards could be, watch that game. He was phenomenal in that game. He was – I think he hit five threes, or maybe it was even more than that. He ended up with like 27 points. And, I mean, he literally showed everything in that game. So he hits – he he shows you the pull-up shooting. He shows you catch-and-shoot shooting. He was getting double teamed and very easily handling it, which young ball handlers typically struggle with that kind of thing, especially in the freaking NBA. I mean, if you're a rookie ball handler in the NBA and you can handle a double team, and, like, we saw it with John Morant last year. And I think that's why – one of the reasons John Moran was so impressive was that he's able to handle that kind of defensive attention right off the bat. And Anthony Edwards has shown he can do that too. Um, He's also very good at reading the floor. I actually, like, I didn't know a ton about him in college. I mean, we both have admitted that we really know nothing about this draft class, like before they started playing in the NBA. And like, I always knew Anthony Edwards was good. I knew he was going to be one of the top picks and that he was a good scorer but I didn't know a ton about him and I had no idea that he had the passing chops. He has like, he will, he'll like run a pick and roll and just slingshot a left-handed pass to some guy cutting to the rim. I had no idea he had that in him. And I mean, in that Lakers game, he did it like two or three times where he's just whipping a, a, a pass across the floor with like no hesitation. And for him to be that confident and and that see the floor that well as a rookie, I think is a, an incredible sign for his future. I mean, I, I just just watching him in that Lakers game, I'm like, this kid is going to be awesome because offensively, he did everything well. Um, defensively, you know, I think off ball from what I saw, he actually was pretty good. He was pretty attentive. A lot of these guys like to float and he he's prone to that too which again there's there's veterans to do it too so I'm not going to blame him too much for floating a little bit but he's always kind of smart about it like he's always looking in the right areas like I think his guy um I want to say it was maybe marquee for someone was in the corner wide open that he was supposed to be guarding and he jumped up and like almost snatched the pass out of the air of course, LeBron was passing it, so he wasn't going to let that happen. But, you know, he he saw it coming, and, and he was able to rush out and, and um, not block the shot, but he was able to challenge it. So, I mean, he has, he has the right idea on defense. And, again, offensively, 
I think he's he's shown a lot at a very early age. And again, it, it's not consistent. He's he's been pretty inefficient to this point. But from what I saw in that Lakers game alone, and he was he was pretty good against the Pacers last night too. He had some moments, but just that Lakers game was like, wow, like this kid is gonna be a star. Yeah. The thing that stood out to me about Edwards is that they're letting him run pick and rolls in crunch time. And that is very key to making sure your young players get the development that they need. They are going to, you know, he's going to take his lumps because the team sucks, (laughs) (laughs) but they're not that sucky, right? They're really not the 15th worst team in the West. Let's be real here. I think, I still think Oklahoma city is technically worse than they are. They just have Al Horford, who is a lot better than cat on defense and also has played a lot more games than cat has. That being said, this team is going to be competitive enough where him getting the crunch time reps and they lose. Let's he almost had a buzzer beater against the Pacers last night to win the game. Mm-hmm. And he's fearless. And that's something that I love. Like he got attached with the, the kid doesn't love basketball. Like he's a football guy. He doesn't, he doesn't love the game, which is stupid. <laughs> he wouldn't be going for the NBA draft if he didn't love it. Like not love the game. If he didn't even enjoy it. Like that's the, that's the connotation I got from the people that were covering it. They're like, oh, this kid doesn't even like basketball, football guy, and which is stupid. And I love the way that he's playing. He's just playing his ass off, and he deserves – he's not going to be rookie of the year because LaMelo and Halliburton have gotten off to such good starts. But damn, if he's not going to be one of the best three players from this class. People said this class sucks, Dylan. I'm – just based on what we've seen from the rookies so far, you know, between Bay, Stewart, Okoro, Halliburton – Maxi, um, obviously we love Lamelo. I'm inclined to disagree. I don't think the rookies are going to suck, and I think Anthony Edwards is going to be one of the best players from this class. I, he's he play he's a bulldog out there, you know. No Georgia pun intended. He is just playing his ass off, and I love the way he plays. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned uh, how he he really like you can tell he enjoys the game because I I meant to bring that up. In that Lakers game, man, like every play he made, no matter whether it was a good play or a bad play, he was always walking away smiling. And yeah. I I found that really enjoyable because, you know, a lot of these guys and I think rookies and young players are more, more likely to do that kind of stuff because they're kind of just happy to be here and all that. And some of the older players, I think, kind of just take advantage or take their position for granted. But like th- these guys are playing basketball for a career, you know, and to see someone that just thoroughly enjoys the game is it was really it was really fun to watch. And, and I thought the same exact thing when I saw him smiling. I'm like, this is why so many teams and GMs fail because they just overthink things. I mean, you have a, a incredibly good basketball player and for them to start saying like dissecting his character or whatever. And, and like, Oh, I don't even know if he really likes basketball. Like maybe he's got other stuff that's keeping him distracted. It it was just so stupid. And that's the teams that overthink like that are the ones that fail. And I'm really glad Minnesota didn't talk themselves into it because I think in the past they probably would have. And I can guarantee you if the Kings had this pick, they would have because they talked themselves into Marvin Bagley over Luka Doncic. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad. I'm sorry I had to throw that in there, but um, I mean, I'm just I'm couldn't really pass glad. it up. I couldn't. I mean, come on. Like, 
they, they took Marvin Bagley because they thought he was a better fit. They actually said that because he wanted to be in Sacramento. I mean, just just absolutely ludicrous. But I'm really happy that he's there. And moving forward, him, Beasley, and, and Kat are definitely a great three to have. And, you know, D'Angelo Russell, I, I don't think long-term – I wouldn't be shocked if he gets moved again. I mean, <laughs> he's – I just – I don't know what to do with him anymore. Like, he can score, but he doesn't do it super efficiently. He doesn't do much else, you know. And we didn't really see him this week, um, luckily. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's that the young core they've got there. I, I'm really, uh, I'm really liking it. Yeah. So I feel like we need to talk about. Well, you said you had a Jordan McLaughlin comparison that I want to save for last. I'll talk about Rubio real quick because Rubio, to me, he is simultaneously exactly what this team needs and simultaneously exactly what they don't need. He. <laughs> Listen, the shooting was always a problem with him, but he can't throw a rock in the ocean right now. The Pacers were running zone last night, and they were just leaving him wide open in the corner, and deservedly so. He wasn't – he's not a good shooter anymore. And even in spite of that, he's still averaging six and a half assists a game. So he's basically giving you absolute worst-case scenario Ricky Rubio, which is still a productive passer and defender who can't play offense. And – on a tanking team, that's not so bad, I suppose. And if he's the backup point guard, you could do a lot worse. But Dylan, Nas Reed, we, I think we both like him. I think we were talking about Nene, I think either before the show. This show has been incredibly long for various reasons, so I'm not going to remember if we did talk about him on the show. I think Nas Reed is, plays like Nene. Like I, I, can you see that? Like I feel like he has the same kind of game. Maybe it's the hair, but like the inside – Inside dominant game. He does make a lot of threes, though. 39% from three, not bad, not bad. But what have you seen from Nas Reed that you've liked so far? Dude, I I kind of love Nas Reed. Like, he – I mean, defensively, you know, there's some some to be desired. But um, on offense, he basically does everything – like, his three-point shot is not ideal, but the shots go in. I mean, it's a very, like, high-arcing shot. It's it's kind of odd, but it works. And he really doesn't hesitate when he puts it up. Um, so <laughs> I kind of enjoy it because it takes, like, four seconds for it to complete its path, and it's, it's kind of fun. But he is, like, a really good passer. Like, his vision is actually insane, and – and a lot of bigs can't really pass on the move, but he's a guy that can catch the ball and, and move it again in stride, which I think is, a, I mean, that's, that's something again, that a lot of bigs don't have the skill set to do because they're usually so focused on just getting the bucket or the ball in the bucket. But there's some times where man, like he'll get a pass and he'll kick it out to the corner. Last night, there was a play where he, got the ball off the inbound and immediately had like a little push pass to the corner for a wide open three. It's like, he's, he's able to read the floor really well. And he compliments almost anyone he, that he's out there with. And he is also prone to throw some freaking really nice dunks down last night. I think it was last night. He had two dunks where it felt like it was from the free throw line, but it wasn't, it just felt like that. Cause he kind of wanted it to be. But, I mean, the dude gets up, and, like, he's quick. He gets down the floor quick, and he 
he can get up. So I, I really enjoy watching him. Yeah. He's a perfect backup center to me. And so, okay. So the pieces they should keep, obviously Beasley, your point about Beasley Edwards and cat being the main core pieces is prescient. I do think that Culver, we need to see more of him. <laughs> Culver will be reevaluated next week, according to to Jace Frederick. That's an interesting name of the St. Paul Pioneer Press. So we didn't see him at all this week, but Culver was dealt a bad rap last year because he had to play point guard for a lot of the year. And he was not, he's not a point guard. He's just not, yeah. he's a, he's a wing player. So I want to see him more. I think that there's a lot of potential there that they could unravel. And then Vanderbilt McDaniels and Nas Reed are all three and Akogi. Akogi's been really bad on offense, but the defense is still there, and I want to see him. Like, he's kind of like Dort without the shot. And I want to see more of Akogi. But Nas Reed, to me, just really stands out when he's on the screen because he just does a lot of good things for them. He's really bulky, so the only problem is, is that he's short. He's not a starter. But off the bench... You could do a lot worse off the bench than Nas Reed. And I think he could carve out a role for him. It's like a nice, a nice little career there. Like Brooklyn could really use Nas Reed. <laughs> and that's going to be my backup center test. Could Brooklyn use you? Yes. Then you're a good backup center. But in all seriousness, yeah, I love Nas Reed. I love the way he plays. Jordan McLaughlin. Um, first of all, why the hell did the Hawks not sign Ronda? Why the hell did they not sign McLaughlin over Rondo? That's first of all. I just love the way he plays. He's got a good he's got a good pace about him, which is what you want from a point guard. I honestly think he's better for this team than Tyus Jones would have been. You know, Tyus Jones is on Memphis. And we love Tyus Jones, but I don't think Tyus Jones would have been good for this particular team because they need more. They already have Rubio. I think McLaughlin is a good counterbalance, but what's the what's the comp that you had for McLaughlin that you were so eager to bust out? You know, I don't know if it was the Minnesota vibe or if it was the bald head, but after watching for a little bit, I'm like, you know who this guy is? He's Jared Bayless. I knew you were going to – like, as soon as you said bald head, I'm like, oh, this is Jared Bayless. <laughs> I can see it. I mean, he's like, good. okay, so he's not as good at the rim. Like, he's been pretty putrid everywhere but three shooting-wise. But he takes care of the ball. He's a good passer and he's a good shooter. I mean that that's Jared Bayless right there. That's a good comparison. Like I'm kind of jealous I didn't think of it, but yeah, he is definitely he's a solid point guard and he's on a two-way. It's funny, we spent a lot of time talking about a couple two-way guys that should definitely be converted that are definitely better than some of the um the other guys on the roster <laughs> and Davis. Um what did I what was I saying? Um yeah, this team is just really, really young and intriguing. And I think the team has a lot of potential to grow and just be better in the next couple of years. And I think the future is bright for the Wolves. Um, but we do have to say there's an elephant in the room with the Timberwolves. And that is that if their pick is outside the top three this year, it is going to our other team, the Golden State Warriors. And if you hate what the Warriors have done the last couple of years, you do not want them to get a top four pick. You do not want them to have I pick in the, the top 10 of this year's draft because the top 10 of this year's draft, Dylan Hughes, I know you're not a big college guy. I'm starting to pay attention a little more. Holy shit, it is talented. Like, it is. 
like the fourth best guy would have been drafted over Edwards last year. So wow, th- you do not want <laughs> you do not want the Warriors to have a top four pick. But <laughs> anything else on the Wolves before we wrap it up, Dylan? I have another comp that I'm working through. It's not perfect yet, Let's but I'm seeing a little bit of John Isaac and Jade McDaniels. Just mm. a little bit. Just a little bit. I, I mean, like the it. defensive versatility is there. He's very long and lanky, and the offense is very far away. But, like, look at John Isaac. Like, it's taken a few years for him to get to this point where he can hit pull-up jump shots pretty consistently. So, again, I don't think it's great. It's not a great comp yet, but, like, maybe we'll return to this at the end of the year. But I don't know. Like, he's he's able to take some of these big, big players on. Like, he went up against LeBron for a little bit. He did fine. I mean, it's it's interesting. I don't know. I'm, I'm just going to keep an eye on that one. It's a great comparison. I think on that note, this has been a hell of a podcast for me, Dylan. Um, again, I lost power halfway through, so I, I apologize if I sound way different during the Celtics portion than I in the beginning of the Warriors than I did for the rest of it. And there's going to be some background noise. My girlfriend is uh, on some phone calls, so forgive me for the background noise. There's going to be a lot more of it than there was in the last few, but um, – you know, Dylan, I think in spite of that, this was a great show. I think we did a good job pulling through in spite of the in spite of the con the con of the circumstances. And I think I, I think we did a good job, Dylan. You know, we get challenges thrown our way very often, and I think we just need to lean into it and just start seeking the challenges out. I mean, I think we could go out into the wilderness and record a pod. I just do. And I think when we get to summertime, we should we should give it a shot. Give it a shot. Just give me a knife and we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, kill something, kill an animal live on the, I don't know. That's out terrible. I got to cut that out too. God damn it. All right. Well, time to plug, time to plug um, from one young soul to another. Listen, I'm not even going to threaten you this week. Just watch the goddamn YouTube videos. If you don't want to buy the book and you don't want bad things from me to happen to you. It's that simple. It's on YouTube. Come on. You don't even have to pay money for the book. I would like you to pay money. I would like the money to go into Dylan Hughes's pocket. You don't even have to. I'm offering you an out. Better take the goddamn out. Um, and then also Heavy Pockets, um, the best finance newsletter in the game for my money. So not even even meant it's a pun, but you know, the accidental double entendre. Um, oh, our teams for next week. <laughs> so, Dylan, we're almost done. We've almost done all thirty teams. <laughs> I, yeah, you have to admit that's pretty crazy that we've done this bit and we've almost done the whole league at this point. You know, I'm glad that we've done it this way because, I mean, I've always tried my best in the past to keep up with everyone, but I've never actually been held to it because I don't have, I've never had to talk about it every week. And so now we're being forced to watch every team good and bad. And, you know, I've enjoyed it because I don't know about you, but. I found something to like in every single bad team. And a lot of the Pelicans, except the Pelicans, of course, (laughs) Um, every, every week, I think I end up liking one of the bad teams more than one of the good teams. So, you know, that, that's been one, one uh, benefit from this for sure. I mean, I never thought at the beginning of the season that I would actually like the Pistons, but I've, I've kind of come around to that. So, you know, it, it's been fun and we still have a couple weeks left, but uh, yeah, I, I've liked how we've done it. Yeah. This has been an interesting experience for sure. I have to say, because I, 
never actually paid attention to all 30 teams. I would pay attention to like 20. Like last year, all 22 of the teams that made the bubble, I'm like, okay, sweet. I know all about them. And then the eight that didn't, I was like, okay, I watched some Charlotte. I watched some, I watched some Detroit, but after they were basically shit, like the shadiest team in the league, I stopped. This year, I've watched it. It's funny because I haven't seen a single Clippers game all year, actually. But we're going to, we've done 24 of the 30 teams and we're going to be done the week of the All Star break. So our last, our last week, for the season is going to be, or for the first half of the season is going to be right, right when the all-star break hits. So we'll, we'll get to take like you know, a couple of days off, maybe do all NBA pod. And then we'll, we'll hop right back into the, for the next half of the season. But so, okay. That's a long winded way of saying that our next teams, our teams next week are going to be the Los Angeles Clippers, the Miami heat and the Toronto Raptors. That means our teams for the final week are set. And that is the Mem- my Memphis Grizzlies, Dylan's Portland Trailblazers, and absolutely nobody's Orlando Magic. Good <laughs> God, we saved the worst for last. I think you say you found something to like in all thirty teams or in all twenty four teams you like so far. I think you'll like something in twenty nine out of thirty. God damn, I do not looking forward to Orlando. I'm so glad we're saving them for last. Absolutely so glad, but um. So you're going to want to check out that next week because Kyle Lowry is one of my five favorite players in the league. So I'll be absolutely homerific about that. And I'm glad I remembered to say that in this hell of a podcast. Um, And go check out our other stuff on the Running Podcast Network. Um, Battleground just came out with an episode that I will try to have this out on Friday, this episode. So if you're listening to this on Friday, we just put out an episode of Battleground Thursday when we're recording this. And it it was a great episode. Just phenomenal quality and then go check out um the running hook that i did with jd and zach where we we predicted our all-star teams and actually the all-star starters were announced dylan i don't know if you caught that but it was looks like it was Kyrie, bradley beal kd Giannis, and and bead in the eastern conference those three forwards were gonna were locks basically for months now and then in the west I have to look at the tweet one more time, but I think Steph, LeBron, um, let me just go to Sham's Twitter account because I want to make sure I had it right before. So, okay. So it's Steph, Luca, LeBron, Kawhi, and Jokic. That's actually the way I predicted the the West team. So I had Luca over Dame. You know, shout out to, shout out to Luca. Um, and then, go, so go check that out. Well, insanity, Caleb's pivoting to college basketball. So um, triple action pass is we're just going to call it a little hiatus. They should be back relatively soon, but it's off season. I'm not holding them to anything. Dylan, thank you so much for hanging with me, man. We'll, uh, we'll record an episode in the wilderness this summer and have a hell of a time. Looking forward to it. And, you know, if we come into a bear, that's just great content. So, you know, if we have to fight off some animals, it is what it is. It is what it is. Thank you so much for listening.